You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. So, Tracy, we, we had to miss a week because you are a teacher and school is important. And I ruin everything. And, yeah. And yeah. children are the future and all that good stuff. And you were very yeah. Blessed. But yeah. the problem with that is that I, I have, instead of two weeks of really bad puns saved up, I've got four weeks of really bad puns saved up. So I have a question for you. There were two mm, hats, yeah. two hats resting on a peg. Uh, uh-huh. Do you know what one hat said to the other one? Why no, Patrick? I, I don't know. Stay here. I'll go on ahead. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, so this this is probably a good time for me to mention uh, to our guest for this week that it, it probably isn't too late to bail. Like, you, know, you can just mute your mic and your, your video and just walk away. And uh, we'll just leave Patrick to, to do a one-man show here. That or, you know, KB wagers can prove that they're made of sterner stuff than that. KB, do you think you can handle this nonsense for like the next hour? You know what? I am I am pretty sure I have uh, done worse puns and, and survived worse puns. So, oh, I know, see. I so am, you are... I am. You are swimming in familiar waters. Got it. Got it. You may have met your match, then, Patrick. I I may at some point just uh, step back and see if there's like a like a pun off that can happen here. Um, Yeah, that would be that would be punny. I I I will say that right now I'm running the mute because the neighbor dogs are barking and Ronan is losing his mind. Oh, oh well. I mean, sure. I assumed that you were writing the mute because you were shamed and feared of the notion of being defeated and punning uh, by our by our guest for this week. But how you know, long have I'll you just... known me? How long have you known me? <laughs> I mean, okay, fine. Yeah, that probably wasn't realistic. So, KB, welcome aboard. It's so awesome to have you. Yeah, and I was really so excited. Much. Yeah, I was really excited to be able to set up this interview with you because the ghosts of Trappist are coming out like uh, June 27th, so like pretty much right after this episode goes live in hardcover. Absolutely gorgeous cover, absolutely gorgeous premise, and it's part of an ongoing series. So let can you can you catch our listeners up? We can. Um, so the the idea for the NEO-G Adventures, which is uh, NEO-G stands for the Near Earth Orbital Guard, which is a futuristic space coast guard. Um, they are, there are, well, there will be three books out at the end of June. Um, they are all standalone novels in that you can really read them in any order that you want. Um, chronologically, at the moment, they are taking place like one after another in the universal timeline. Um, and they all contain a lot of the same characters. Um and uh, there are some connecting events um, that get mentioned from book to book. So you can, you can read them in order. You can read them out of order. Either way. Um, the general premise is we're dealing with an interceptor team, um, which is like a fast-moving uh, boat crew. Um, the crew in question is called Zuma's Ghost. And um, they are not only incredibly good at their jobs, but they also participate in something called the Boarding Games, which is an intramilitary competition um, that involves some kind of wild events like cage fighting and sword fighting um, and uh, hacking competitions and other assorted fun. So they basically... um, 
fly around the solar system and also Trappist, um, which is the two places that humans have settled in this near future uh, universe. And um, they, you know, sort of supernatural it up sometimes with saving people and hunting things or people, depending on what's going on in the Ghosts of Trappist. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but stuff gets a little creepy out there in the black. For sure. Do, so do, I'm, do they have do, do they have a cool car? I mean, like space car. They have a cool ship. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I'm not Patrick sure anything. Parked up with the supernatural lit up part. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing yeah. is as cool as the Impala, but you know they try. And and angels are dicks. <laughs> Always. <laughs> 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 and pie is wonderful. We love pie. Ah, yeah. Pie makes everything better. Pie's got to be harder in space, though. Like, I mean, then again, it, you know, in most highly elaborated futuristic visions of, of our relationship to being and living in space, we've worked out food issues and things so that we're not just eating stuff out of tubes all the time. But, but it would just generally have to be different space pie. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't really, you know, we have talked about food some. Um, part of the deal with the universe of the Neo G is that we're working with a post-collapse future. Um, mm-hmm. The collapse being this like hundred year span on Earth where um, humanity almost like made themselves extinct. Um, if that sounds familiar, I'm sorry. I didn't want this to work out this way, but here we are. <laughs> um, and they narrowly avoid extinction, um, manage to claw their way back, um, and also manage to go out into the stars. So yeah, we tend to play fast and loose sometimes with um, maybe some of the more scientific aspects of um, things like how do you eat in space or <laughs> how do you, uh, how, does, how does your gravity function on your ships? Um, in which case I'm just like, well, it does. And we're not going to, uh, I'm not going to delve too deep into it because I don't write hard science fiction. I write yeah. uh, character driven science fiction. I, I'm a big fan of interesting explanations for how things work in, in an SF vision, but only if they're interesting and also relevant. Like if how the thing works is going to matter later, then cool. Tell me all about it. If it's not, and this is just your sort of like, I also went to engineering school flex, then I'm like, I don't really, could we, could we not? Yeah. I'd be okay with not. I I remember arguing with someone because they, they didn't like the expanse because they felt that the science fiction aspects of it were too fantasy. And I was like, what are you smoking? How? What other science fiction series of, of significant <laughs> prominence actually deals substantively with the with G forces? Yeah, I know, like, right? It's one of the most it's, basic things that they're like, la 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 la. We're not going to talk yeah, about G forces yeah. because making people not liquid is hard. The, right, the point is, hard. the point is, I, I love yeah. the kind of stuff that KB's talking about, where I don't need to know why the gravity works on the ship. I don't need to know that. You know, just tell me a good story. I'm in. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it never ceases to amaze me that, you know, you can you could get like five 
science fiction fans together at a convention and each one of them will complain about some strange aspect of some fantastic story. It's like, Oh no, they, they called the, they called the, uh, they called it a clip instead of a magazine that ruined the whole thing for me. This ruined Mm. everything. Yeah. (laughs) And ironically, I was, I just spent a week in uh, Wyoming um, at the Launchpad Astronomy Workshop, which is put on by um, Michael Brotherton um, and Christian Reddy. Um, uh, Brotherton works for the University of Wyoming, teaches physics and astronomy. Um, And they do this annually where they, uh, you, uh, apply and they select a handful of science fiction fantasy uh, authors um, and we go to the University of Wyoming spend a week for them to cram a bunch of astronomy stuff into our heads um, and it was really fascinating but they actually love everything that the guys on the expanse have done and and yeah. scientifically it's actually all pretty accurate yeah. as far as they're concerned so like <laughs> that especially the space battles and stuff I guess are very like are very accurate in how they dealt with like G forces and everything else. Yeah. So, and, and, um, and those are, those are the specific things that this guy was like, dra- they drove him up. He's like, Oh no, they're, 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 the battles are so fake. You, they wouldn't work. And I'm like, what, what? There's always a little armchair quarterback vibe yeah. coming off of those things. And it always feels yeah. like, some kind of weird military stolen valor adjacent thing where it's either like because I've read these 50 other military SF books that I have decided are canonically accurate to whatever I think speculative fiction battle should be or because I don't know, like my cousin, you know, was in the Air Force National Guard and told me some stuff when he would come home on leave. I therefore have like, it's, there's always this misplaced sense of authority that is deeply amusing to me. It's like listening to people argue about the difference between like Miracle Whip and Mayo. It's like, it's the same goddamn thing, right? It really kind of is. And I understand that there are people listening to me right at this moment who are like, it is fucking not. Um, But you know, I, I don't think that you're right. And also, even if you were, how much does this matter? Like, really? Really? In the grand scheme of things, that my baseline for enjoying science fiction is really low. And the reason for it is what I call the um, shower paradox, uh, where you like the idea that anybody can operate any like piece of alien technology or even an unfamiliar vehicle that is maybe of human make um, is so wildly disbelievable simply because if you ever go into somebody else's shower and try and turn it on, <laughs> how long does it take you to figure out how that damn thing functions? Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is absolutely you know, the, like... The red part of it is this, going this way, but I turned the handle that way and now I'm freezing. Yeah. Oh God, no. Like, Why, yeah, where no, is the hot water? Why will this not turn on? Like, yeah. And so I just, I'm like, you know what? Everything past that, it's not that hard to believe it. I'm fine with it. It, it, it cracks me up that one of the one of the biggest complaints about the movie yeah. Independence Day. Remember Independence Day, Will Smith, oh, yeah. Jeff Goldblum. Oh yeah. Uh, one of the biggest thing is like, how does he hack the alien ship with a MacBook? Right. Yeah. And, and he gets on like, its Wi-Fi, so obviously. So stupid. <laughs> and, and what's funny is is we find out like years later, there's a deleted scene that actually explained it that never made it into the movie. <sighs> 
now I feel robbed for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, but and like, it, what's the general thrust of the deleted scene? Just that there were well, reasons? It, it, and- no, if you remember, like, there, the there's there's the whole scene with Roswell, right? And they they actually yeah. have the alien. Well, it turns out right. that like they had come here before. And um, the technology that the MacBook was based on came and all of our computer stuff the, had been developed out of the alien technology. And so there was like this base code and everything. And that was um, actually what allowed him to access the alien computer. But they don't go into that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love it. They I just skipped to the point where he's on the computer doing stuff and he's like hacking and stuff's happening. I yeah. do vaguely remember. I mean, I remember seeing it in the theaters, like when when I was a teenager. But I also vaguely remember, like, not feeling like the movie was long. Um, like it was very punchy and actiony, and I was deeply amused by it and everything. Um, but I remember looking at the runtime at some point when we were trying to figure out what showing of it to see and thinking like, wow, two hours. That's weird. Like a lot of movies aren't two hours. And now of course everything is, is swelling well above two hours all the time. So the idea that probably, yeah, they were looking at their runtime and going like, Ooh, this could be like two ten or two (laughs) fifteen or something. We got to kind of trim a bit now seems in retrospect, adorable, but what was that? Like 1995 or whatever Something it was. Like it would have, that. Yeah, yeah so the, the expectations are just different. Sit through a two-hour film? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ironically, there is a scene in Ghosts of Trappist where they are dealing with like old technology. Yeah. Um, and they have to kind of go through that whole thing where they're like, this is, you know, and this is how to wait. Okay. What can we, what can we do to make this work or to like get, get into this piece of technology that we need to get to. And that's part of it is because yeah, like you can find a, a whole bunch of, you know, eight inch floppy disks, but is there anybody out there who still owns like, like equipment that will play yeah. eight inch floppy disks? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yes. Well, we just, your, your hand raise does not render well on the audio program, <laughs> the audio. Patrick, but we all Apparently see it. Patrick is one of those Did people. you bring enough five and a quarter floppy disks for the rest of the class? No, no, you didn't. No, if I need yeah. to transcribe the four pages of my old novel, then you're the guy I will <laughs> I still have. I still have a tower downstairs uh, in the closet in the basement. I still have a tower that has, uh, it has the three and a half, five and a quarter, and a zip drive. An iOmega zip drive. Oh, that was top tier technology in 1992. Yeah. Well done. And then, and then, and then, CD writer, uh, reader writer. Yeah, RWs. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, one of the first yeah, so I still have that. Books I wrote was on three inch, like hard, you know, and it oh. was yeah, I think oh. like five oh. discs or something. <laughs> I so I I went from I and I talked about this. You know, there's there's the. Um, there's, it's like a trope at this point. It pisses a lot of, of people off where the guy says, oh, you write it because your handwriting is going to be better than mine. Mm-hmm. Right. And usually hands it to a, a, a female and says, here, you right, write right, it. Right. Like, I am that guy, but it's because mm-hmm. my handwriting really is shitty. Like the, I, the, it was a thing in school. Uh, I went to Catholic school at first, uh, for like first eight years. And the nuns could not get me like they tried, like they tried. I, I my handwriting is terrible. And I, I always I always equate it to the fact that I started left handed. And my dad mm-hmm. threw a fit and said he was not going to have a left hand. Like he saw that as a disability. And so he made the nuns force me to go right handed. So I started being right handed. But I, I was terrible. So when I first started writing. I did it on a manual typewriter. Mm-hmm. And so all of my first things are on typewritten pages. And then I bought a word processor. 
And this was a fancy typewriter with a monochrome screen and it yes. had a disk drive. But it wasn't the same file format as you would get on a PC. So it wasn't DOS. It wasn't FAT or anything like that. It was a completely different file. So I have all of my first things are on these disks that nothing can read. Aww. And I can neither confirm nor deny that those disks are in a fucking box in my storage shed. Because <laughs> I can't throw anything away. Yeah. Right. So, so right. KB, this is, this is what we were talking about in, in, before we started recording where we said we squirrel. Like you tend to squirrel, <laughs> and and now I'm wondering well. as movies. So it used to be that movies had. Have you ever seen Star Trek: The Motion Picture? Yeah, you know the yeah. beginning that's really really long with all the music. Like that used to be a thing, right? Because it gave yeah. people time to sit in their seats, and then. Like if you go back far enough, you'll see movies that that are split because there's an intermission, right? That gave people mm-hmm. time to get up and go to the bathroom or do something. As these movies are getting longer, I'm wondering if we're going to start like getting intermissions back. I please, boy, I you know. <laughs> <laughs> although I have that preternatural sense of like you can tell when the lull in the film Slow is, part, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm like, go, go now. <laughs> like <laughs> you're not going to miss anything if you have yeah, to. Many people. <laughs> Contemplating the dark moment and gazing out a window yeah. for a while. That's enough time to pee. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Yeah. They, they've put two characters in a room and the music's gone. I can go pee. Basically. Like you're anytime <laughs> after like a big climax, big fight, like what whatever yeah. big like reveal or something, yeah. there is usually like a ten minute down down motion. Yeah. You're gonna bandage film. some wounds or well, you drive know, yeah. to a safe house. You miss maybe a little character development, but you're not going to miss enough plot to like be lost when you come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's boy, if you miss that window and then you have to sit through the last like hour of the film and you're like, this is no good because I'm <laughs> if I if I get up now, I'm going to miss all the good parts. <laughs> I, on the other hand, have discovered that at any point during a live action Transformers film, I can leave the film yeah. and come back, and it will make no impact on my understanding of anything. Absolutely uh, not. Yeah. So like, there's. There's different directions that can swing. There's the tactical maneuver or is the, there's the sort of, you know, fatalism of nothing matters and nothing ever will. And so I'm I'm just going to take a walk around the lobby now. Um, maybe maybe seeing, see if I can dip into some other movie. <laughs> I keep seeing all these reviews of, of Beast Wars, the new Transformers. It's like, this is the best Transformers movie ever. And I'm like, way to set the bar really low. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We just we lift the bar off the floor, people. For this one, you're gonna be super impressed. (laughs) You're gonna be able to see some light under that bar. It's gonna be good. So I get it. Winding back towards, I mean, with in a way, um, thinking about like how how movies are pulled together and our sensitivity to like runtime and their lulls and stuff. Thinking about setting out to write a series that has a kind of continuity from story to story, but not an essentialness of continuity that sort of forces people to read in a certain kind of way, um, must be in some ways very difficult because in a sense, you're writing for two kinds of readers at the same time, the people who have been with you since your earlier books and people who have just picked up this one because it's come on their radar. And you need to reward both of those types of reading experiences. And I have to imagine there's that's a tricky needle to thread, is it? Yeah, I think in some ways um, it it was it was tricky to do. Um, we didn't we didn't focus on it as much. Obviously, with the first one, it was brand new, so we were just like, just you know, I'm just gonna do 
whatever. Um, and mm-hmm. I actually wrote, I wrote A Pale Light in the Black right on the heels of the second book in the Farian War trilogy, um, which is called Down Among the Dead and is like a relatively brutal, like really difficult, dark book. Um, and it was really hard to write. Um, and it's all in first person. The entire Hale series is written in first person. So getting to write A Pale Light in the Black, which was so much more fun and like multiple POVs and an entirely new world um, was really such a breath of fresh air in terms of of writing it. Um, And then when when I wrote the second uh, book, which is called Hold Fast Through the Fire, um, we, we knew that we didn't want like any sort of arc you know the the Hale books are are two trilogies that in theory can be read independently of each other um but you get a little more character development you get a little bit more sense of the scope of the story if you read um the Andronan War trilogy and then read the Farian War trilogy um which is just sort of the way it worked out uh with um with the Neo G books yeah we um we really wanted to write something that people could just sort of pick up um, at any point, um, sort of like, you know, Star Trek books or the Star Wars books, how they, all of the, um, all of the tie-in novels, you know, you, you could pick up one of them um, and you're not necessarily locked in to like being terribly confused as far as what's going on because it's a story in itself. Obviously um, you, you don't know me very well because we just met. <laughs> <laughs> One could Again, say that bar setting at, that we talked not about at all. <laughs> I am the opposite of that. I then have to read them all. Maybe a completionist tendency. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, I, and yeah, like Tracy was saying, there there are people who who didn't tend to do that. Um, I mean, the good news is, at least right now with the Neo G, you only have two books that you have to read to catch up. <laughs> with what's going Very on. gentle completionism. Little, little bit, a little bit easier to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, I did, um, I did have a beta reader uh, read Ghost of Trappist who had not read the first two to kind of get a sense of like where we were in terms of is this really going to work? Can you come in in the middle of this? And it's an entertaining story and the characters are well enough explained, um, you know, and it, and it did. Um, she said it was, it was excellent in the sense that she, she got the sense that there was stuff that had happened before, but it wasn't so much that she was lost in terms of like the story itself in, in that particular book. Um, well, yeah. Some people have a term that they use for that and, and they use it equally for, for, texts where that past is implied but never explored versus ones where the past is present and is alluded to. But the idea of something being lived in, right? That relationships between characters are lived in, that the world is sort of lived in, and that you you believe it didn't just sort of appear on page one and will poof out on page N at the end. Exactly. And that, you know what, I it's something I tend to do anyway with characters. Um, I'm a, a, I've talked about this quite a bit, and I've even taught a couple of classes on the idea that your characters exist before the pages start, before the story starts, um, and that you need that background. You need, if characters already know each other going into a story, you need inside jokes. You need terrible puns. You need something, you know, fighting. Fights over like uh, which 
which uh, zero G uh, baseball team is better than the other. Um, just to give your reader that sense that these characters have fully realized lives that exist both before and after the book is over. Um, at, at which point a number of my readers will be like, after the book is over? Really? A lot of them don't have lives after the book is over. Sorry. It's like <laughs> I have a bad I mean, habit of, of killing people off. That's what fan fiction's for, though. They'll, they'll exactly. just make them go to AO3 and write some fix fix. And, please, yeah, yeah. please go do an Everybody Lives fic. That would be excellent. I, I would just throw it out there that if, uh, if all you need is like bad puns, hold my beer. Yeah. 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 and and i will throw out there uh i don't care what universe it is i don't care if it's the future or the past uh it's the cubs the cubs are the best zero g baseball team always always and forever (laughs) oh speaking a language of my heart over there maybe also my old pandering to cannoli joe but you know we'll kind of um so uh, I'm also interested, you know, a lot of, there's been a lot of tagging of your work as military SF and that it it makes sense because of how you approach the existence of, you know, the multiple branches of this sort of futuristic military and the idea that the, the zero G, um, the Neo G group is in fact, um, kind of basically space coast guard, but I'm interested in the coast guard angle of it because I feel like of all the branches of the military that we've envisioned into the future in speculative fiction, it doesn't seem like anybody's really kind of given much love to the Coast Guard up to this point. We, we Navy is an easy grab. Um, Air Force, you know, translates pretty readily. Army all the time from Heinlein onward. Um, and of course, Marines, but like the Coast Guard. And so I'm kind of interested in why, why that branch? Like what brought you there? Um, you know, I can't, I can't claim any, uh, right to the idea. Um, David Pomerico at, uh, Harper Voyager was the one who actually approached me with the idea of the Neo G. Um, it wasn't called the Neo G. Um, at that point, that was my idea. And I fully will acknowledge that I was the one who came up with that great acronym. Um, but he had an idea, um, to do, a book um, or a series of books um, about a space coast guard. Um, and it was a lot of what you just talked about because he felt like it, that they didn't really get a whole lot of love in military science fiction that we didn't really, um, that it was a, a branch that lends itself well when you think about the function, especially of the U S coast guard in terms of guarding um, and helping out around the coastlines of the U.S., um, that it, it makes perfect sense that we would naturally have some sort of uh, force that would do that same thing in our solar system. Um, the idea of a planetary coast, as it were. Exactly. Um, that we have, you know, that you have, you um, once you start setting up habitats on other planets in the solar system, once you have the... Uh, station out at Jupiter that you've got traffic, um, you've got supply stuff, you've got people moving back and forth, and you're going to need somebody out there. Um, I mean, like Douglas Adams said, space is really big. (laughs) And there is a, there is a, uh, would be a large need to have some kind of force out there to make sure that people aren't dying. Um, you know, because space is big. And as Dr. Bones says, it's also terrifying. 
So this is my last kind of like trawling the interwebs and, and prepping myself thinking type question. And I hit this and I was like, oh shit, we're talking about this. Like we're so talking about this. Um, so not, not every author has what I'll call a, a interesting bio. Um, so, you know, I, I'll just say that up front that, you know, there's some people who they've, they have a really interesting book and I'm like, yes, come on. We want to talk about you. Uh, but the bio itself is like, Oh, um, and <laughs> you're like, well, I don't, not sure what to work with here. Uh, but in your case, KB, I saw this and I was like, I'm making them talk about this. Um, like we really kind of need to unpack this. And one of the, the, I'll stop teasing it. One of the things in KB's bio, I'm paraphrasing here, is their love of cats. Sure, can get along with that. Jupiter ascending and the Muppets. And I thought to myself, like, there is a Venn diagram here of the Muppets and Jupiter ascending. And I think I think we need to kind of articulate what exists in the space that brings these things together. Because I don't think this is a coincidence. I don't think it's like, you know, I like toast and tacos and milk or something like these are these i think they're this muppets and jupiter ascending explain explain <laughs> how does this how does this work i let's see where do we start um, i feel like this may be like the core vibe that that, that that'll help people understand the you what was it was it is jupiter ascending that jackie in space yeah, yeah, with like the 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 werewolf bee boyfriends and shit, and yeah, and Eddie Redmayne like randomly whispering and then yelling his lines for yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. it <laughs> is, I Jupiter Ascending is a live action Muppet show. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, the so I I grew up in rural uh, northeastern Colorado, um, in the eighties. No cable. Um, like no, not a lot of, I mean, we got what we got an Apple computer when I was like in the, what's the, whenever the mid eighties or whatever. Um, was it, was it a color computer too? It was the green. It was the green ones. Like one of Ah, the originals because my dad is also a nerd. Um, and, uh, so we watched a lot of public broadcasting, um, we didn't watch a lot of regular TV, A, because we didn't have access to it, but also like what you could get with the rabbit ears antenna was pretty slim. Um, but one thing we did get to watch was the Muppet show, um, on Sunday nights when I think at the time it was on ABC or something maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also watched a lot of, like, I grew up on Sesame street. And so like the Muppets have been sort of a formative part of my life and Jim Henson, um, you know, and even star Wars and then, uh, labyrinth and, um, uh, the dark crystal stuff like that. Oh, sure. yeah. Um, so the, uh, so I have, I have a, a great deal of fondness for the Muppets in general, but also the, like the absolute delight that you get from that sort of slightly funky, um, sometimes wild, um, pun filled, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like chaos. Yeah. Um, also I think lends itself really well to certain movies or even certain media. Um, you know, I, and some people might disagree with me, but like, I would say like something like fallout boys albums, I think also fit into that sphere of like Muppet esque type of, uh, got it. Got it. 
Um, so I yeah, mean, you got I, other bands too. Like Gorillaz was like, "What if we were Muppets, but we did, but we did like rap rock?" Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and I love that sort of thing because I feel like it really um, indicates that the people who are creating those sort of things are stepping outside of the normal box of of what you're intending. Um, and I know, like. I've seen some stuff. There's a great post on Tumblr somewhere that talks about how uh, Jupiter Ascending is really just a love letter to fan fiction um, mm. and how the Wachowskis <laughs> like, like, because it's like all the best tropes, right? The, the unassuming female heroine who is toiling away at her drudgery, like day to day life to find out that she is an empress. Um, and then it sort of turns it on its head, right? Um, or the the absolutely cartoonish villain who is there only to Just chewing scenery his, and yeah, yeah. like, like yeah. he and, and the fact that all of these actors went into this movie, you know, and Channing Tatum for God's sakes, they're like, so we want you to be a wolf guy who flies and has boots that defy gravity, um, and like we need you to be super serious about this. And he's like, I am all in. Um, <laughs> I can't, I, I can't remember. If super that serial. Came, I can't remember if that was before or after GI Joe. Cause like he did the GI Joe movie as well. And it's like, yeah. And I don't, I don't know. Um, and I, I adore Channing Tatum. If, if neither of you have seen bullet train yet, okay. um, first off, it's, it's awesome. It is a hilariously, super intelligent film um with and it's got it's got brad pitt and uh hiroyoku sonata um, oh yeah i know the movie you're talking and, about yeah, yeah yeah and and just it, it is wild it is hilariously funny um and channing tatum has a like a cameo in it that is literally like less than a minute total i think and it is one of his best pieces <laughs> where you're just like, no, this thing. he's like, no, I'm in. Like you could just, I could hear like the agent conversation where he's like, oh yeah, no, I'll do it. I'll absolutely give me, a, give me my equity minimum. I'll yeah. show up and do that. Yeah. And, the, and Eddie Redmayne who, you know, had, I think just come off of Les Mis. So it's like super dramatic French revolution. One of the most well-known musicals in the world. And they're like, so we have this part for you. And he was like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, I will absolutely do this. You want me to, like, alternately whisper my stuff and then randomly scream really loud for no particular reason? Jupiter Ascending does feel a little bit like like its creators watched The Fifth Element and they were like, that's a starting place. But what if we did more? Like, well, if we and- dial this up to 11, what's going to happen? Yeah. I, I have often asked if actors know, like, when they're making well, – what's going to end up being a bad movie. Like you, 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 you gotta know. And, and what I've, what I've learned is that a lot of times they'll get a, they'll get like a, a, a picture deal to do something like Les Mis. Like you're good. Yeah. You're going to do it. But in order to do this, we also need you to be in this. <laughs> and that's kind of how they end up in some movies that you, you kind of, you know, you're you, like, why are you here? You, you yeah. Spock arch your eyebrow at really. Um, <laughs> And and I just had such a hard time with Mila Kunis because I'm so used to her as Jackie from that 70s <laughs> show. And she has done some really good things. But, like, I just kept wanting her to say, Michael, I don't like space, Michael. Space is dirty, Michael. I don't want here? to be in space. 
You can't breathe in space, Michael. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, I, and I, I wouldn't have that problem because I've seen almost none of that '70s show, which again, shocking given giving my relationship to television, which we have discussed before. <laughs> I think the other thing that is so great is that, um, like, when I think about the live action uh, Muppet shows that they've done, um, you know, and and one of my favorites is um, the the conversation about um, the Muppet Treasure Island with Tim Curry and the Muppet Christmas Carol with Michael. I have Kane. seen this. Yeah, I have seen and the this conversation that they have about the fact that those two movies both work so well because Michael Caine treats the Muppets as fellow actors, like yeah. they're they're real, and and Tim Curry is a Muppet, and so like <laughs> yeah, he just decided sort of, he was a Muppet like, for purposes of themselves very naturally into this sort of like <laughs> uh, set dressings and and the way the world works. Um, and that's one of my, like, I honestly, somebody was talking about getting to go to, I think, Sesame Street, like, to spend the day or something. And, um, you know, if I could, if I could do anything, like, if I could leverage what little fame I have to do anything, it would be to get to go, like, visit the set at some point during the, like, and, and like, actually interact with the Muppets. That would be totally awesome. <laughs> years ago. It's not um, easy being green. <laughs> years ago, one of the years that cry. the Nebula Awards was in Pittsburgh, um, one of the Toastmaster guests that they had was, I am ashamed that I don't actually remember his name, but he's one of the lead puppeteers for the, the Sesame Workshop. Um, and it took, I guess, a lot of wheedling and begging and fussing for him to do it, but they let him take, um, they let him take Tully and bring him to uh, to the Nebula Awards. And so people's red carpet photos uh, stage at the Nebula Awards for that year show them with with Tully. Um, <laughs> like, and he's like posing with them and whatnot. And there's all these people who are just, you know, nominated for some of the highest honors in genre are just like losing it because they're like, I'm with the Muppet <laughs> head over here. Um, you know, I, I still remember I was shocked because, uh, uh, you know, you, you read the bio of the author, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I read the bio and I had no idea that Mary Robinette was a puppeteer for, for so long. Oh, wow. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, that, that, was, that was part of what she did. Uh, I didn't know. Oh, well, that, that was how they got the Sesame Workshop people to come in, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was one of her know, years as president. Mm -hmm. I did not know that Dr. Crusher, Gates McFadden had worked for the Jim Henson company and was, was part of that whole thing for, for that. I did not know. Yeah. Huh. So I, I also grew up on the street, Sesame street. So, <laughs> um, and, and okay. I can, I can, I can play a, a rainbow connection on my guitar. So, well, there you there go. go. That's like the whole package right there. Yeah. So make sure that you put that in your Tinder profile. So, <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll boost the numbers for sure. All I did, right, I did get a really good picture of my dog for Tinder, which is him just laying spread eagle. Oh, like one of your French girls. Yes. Yeah, I thought that, he, that was his perfect Tinder picture. So there you go. There you, that, it's, he's he's ready. He's ready. He wants to make it happen. So I think we are speaking of making it happen. Picks of the week ready? We need to. I think we are picks of the week ready. Yes. Picks of the week. All right. So, uh, Patrick, do you want to show KB how we do it? Sure. 
So a while ago, I had picked a TV series, and uh, Tracy, television is the box that sits in most people's living rooms. I've, I've seen it. Yes, it's an interesting yeah, device. Signals go in. They make pictures on the screen. Sound comes out. It's really cool. And um, I had picked this TV series that that popped up that I hadn't I didn't know anything about. It was Will Trent. And uh, it turns out it's based on some books by an author named Karen Slaughter. And uh, the show was very interesting. I, I ended up enjoying it. It's only like 13 episodes. Honestly, with the strike and all the shit that's happening, I don't know if we'll get a second season, which makes me sad because I thought the television show was really, really well done. And it's one of those where it, it was so well done that it made me want to read the books and try them out. Uh, fun fact, the exact same thing happened like – 20 years ago or whatever with the Dresden Files. Oh, okay. Sci-Fi, the channel formerly known as Sci-Fi had a TV show called the Dresden Files. It was done by uh, the same people who do who do all the Law and Order shows. Wolf. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so they, the they tried to do it. They tried to do it like a procedural and everything. And it was it was fun. It was kind of okay. And then that made me read the Dresden File books, which I ended up liking. Uh, so I decided to go out and, and check out Will Trent. And it turns out Karen Slaughter has two series. One is the Grant County series and the other one is the uh, Will Trent, and you can almost look at the Grant County as a prequel, and it and it focuses on a small town in Atlanta, um, and a, and a character, Doctor Linden. And then when Will Trent series starts, she eventually becomes part of that series, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. So it's it's, but I ended up with the the Will Trent, and I and I decided to read the first book. I, I did audiobook. Uh, it's called Triptych. Um, it's interesting that the first book is done by Michael Kramer, who's the same voice that did like all the Wheel of Time books. He does all the Brandon Sanderson books along with Kate Redding. Same thing with Wheel of Time. It's it's Michael Kramer and Kate Redding. And then you get uh, the Brandon Sanderson, like the big thick books that that you can use to kill mm-hmm. small dogs. Um, but don't, don't, don't kill small dogs. Yeah, that would be bad. Don't kill small dogs. Um, uh, but it's the same voice and, and here he is doing that. And then, but what's funny is from the second book on, it's a female narrator. Which I and I actually like that better for some reason. I don't know why, but I just did. Uh, but Triptych is interesting. It's 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 basically it it boils down to three point of view characters. There's a police officer. There's a uh, convicted murderer who gets out on parole, and then you have Will Trent, and that's like the Triptych. And Will Trent is a he's a uh, a Georgia Bureau of Investigation special agent who has dyslexia and hides it and hides it really, really well. And he grew up in the Atlanta or the Georgia um, foster care system where he was horribly abused, like horribly, horribly abused. And, uh, but he, he, so he, he's, he's very soft spoken. He's not an action hero by any means. He's extremely intelligent, like there's very little action sequences with him involved. It's usually him just figuring stuff out. And the only action sequence is when they have to go arrest somebody. But uh, it's just so well done. And it's and it's very different from the TV show in that like in the TV show, uh, there's a – I want to say he's Hispanic. I could be wrong on that. But he, he looks Hispanic to me. But he's got a southern accent, which is tripping me out. And he's small. He's not very tall. And in the book – like with most books, they make the, they make him like six foot three and yeah. you know three hundred pounds or something, and and so it's it's very different in the books. But I, I just enjoy I'm enjoying the character. I will say that um, I don't think on the TV show they got the rights to the 
the doctor character. <laughs> I don't mm. think that they, cause it, I think the licensing different series, different because it's a different series. And so they softened a character named Angie Pulaski, who also grew up in the foster care system with Will and knows him like they've known each other since they were eight. Uh, they kind of softened her a little bit on the TV show. In the books, she is absolutely fucking pure evil. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap. What did they do? How did they do this? Like, but uh, it, it, the the whole the whole uh, triptych book is a mystery. Like, there's there's uh, uh, sex workers who are being brutally killed, and uh, it's up to Bill to figure out why and how and and what's going on. Uh, and then you have the guy who just got out on parole, who's afraid that he's going to get blamed for it because it's very similar to what he was sent to prison for. Uh, you have the police officer and it's just, it's good. I, I don't, I, and, and it doesn't do the stuff that I hate. It doesn't head hop, you know, paragraph to paragraph, which a lot of mm-hmm. thrillers and mysteries tend to do. So I'm enjoying it. It's good. Awesome. Awesome. Great wreck. So KB, how about you? So I will also talk about a book, although it is a nonfiction book. Um, It's called Rest is Resistance, uh, and the author's name is Trisha Hersey. And I have been a big proponent, as a a number of people who follow me know, about um, burnout and um, capitalism and how generally awful it is that creatives uh, are basically looked at as machines and that we're expected to like pump all this stuff out on a regular basis, um, which something that, that uh, Trisha Hersey calls uh, machine level production for humans, um, which I, I really appreciate the phrase and I'm going to be using the hell out of it here in the next several years. Um, but it is, it is quite literally a manifesto. She talks a lot about how important rest is, um, how important naps are, um, and not in the sense that you are resting so that you can be more productive, but that you are resting simply because you deserve to rest. Um, and it is it is absolutely something, especially here in late stage capitalism, that we don't get to do. And um, I, I personally uh, like acknowledge the fact that I have a great deal of privilege right now because of my situation that I, I am able to rest and take care of myself and was able to actively like recover from burnout. Um, and a lot of people just don't, um, but it's a really good book. Uh, it's a pretty short read. It's not super thick. And, um, she also has an Instagram, um, called the nap ministry where she talks a lot about <laughs> like this, this same sort of stuff. And they, they do, she does like, she actually holds like nap ins where you can go and like just sleep for an hour like un <laughs> unbothered and and untroubled um and yeah i just i i feel like it is a a good thing for people to learn and and super important if we're going to survive as a species to kind of figure out where we go from here because it's kind of obvious that what we are doing right now just is not working very well that's really cool so, all right, this mine is a kind of uh, personal care, self care adjacent, uh, but it's also about boats, um, which you know seemed like a, a good time to bring it up in light of Space Coast Guard. So, um, for a belated Christmas thing that we'd agreed upon I, a couple I, of years I, I, ago, I, 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 I'm sorry, Tracy. Uh, boats or ships? Be respectful. Um, but, 
in my case, this is a boat. So, um, so my husband and I have enjoyed kayaking and canoeing for a long time, but we've never owned our own boats. Uh, we've always just gone places and rented, which of course means that you're at the mercy of lots of different things like what's available on the schedule and this and that and so on. Um, so we decided a couple of years ago that we were going to we we're going to get our own kayaks. And then the pandemic happened. And you would think that that would be the ideal time to get kayaks. Weirdly, no, no. Um, kayaks and trampolines and things like that suddenly were just flying out the doors of people for uh, who had the disposable income for them. And then we were like, where are we even going to go anyway? Um, we'll just wait it out. And so this past Christmas, uh, we finally cashed in on our plan to buy each other kayaks for Christmas. And we got the Skipjack uh, Vibe brand Skipjack 90, uh, which is about the most basic entry level sit on top kayak that you can get. We've got a really good deal on them at a Dick's Sporting Goods, but lots of other places sell them too. And uh, we have had just a ball going in some interior lakes in the Chicago area, some of the some of the rivers and things. Um, a lot of the rivers near us are shallow enough that you don't like it'll be like a three foot depth. So you don't even really need a, a life jacket. Um, and so they've been really fun to use. They're light. Uh, they're sort of wide bottom and short hull uh, kayaks. And so they are very good for stability, pretty good maneuverability, not awesome for speed, but we're not like boat racing anywhere. Um, and so just about every weekend for the last several weekends, we have been going out kayaking someplace that we can drive to in about 10 or 15 minutes and having a ball doing it. So if you've been looking at what the weather is in your area, and if you're fortunate enough to have some waterways handy, doing some time on a kayak or a canoe is very therapeutic just for kind of getting your head straight uh, and is not as hard as you might imagine that it would be. So and, I recommend getting on a boat. And while you're doing that, are the kids on a pontoon doing circles? Uh, no, not with their, not with their evil uncle. They're, they're often, um, <laughs> lately they've been getting dropped off at grandma's house and doing chores for her. So <laughs> they super hate our kayaks. Um, I, I love our kayaks and our kids are like, fuck them kayaks. <laughs> like, this is I don't the want to grandma's Christmas present ever. <laughs> yeah, they were like, this is, is there an opposite of a Christmas present? Because that's what this is, mom. Yeah. <laughs> I, I talked them into coming to Colorado last year and uh, we were up by Lake Granby. And so so Tracy and her husband rented a kayak and, and I took the kids out on a pontoon. <laughs> yeah. And he, he let the kids drive the pontoon and learned that my daughter is the maniac between yeah. the two of them. Uh, my, my son, on the other hand, is uh, the soul of caution. <laughs> Much more. Right. It's, it's like it's Jenks and Max all over again. Oh, right. Like, yeah, yeah kind of. Let one, let one go and stay out of the way and. Basically, I, yeah. I, I the other remember, one you put in charge. I still remember I showed her how to how to use the throttle, and she just hammered the throttle down on a pontoon boat. And she grabs the wheel, and she just starts turning. She turns it all the way. She's like, ah! And the boat's just trying to make a circle. She's just like, yeah! She's pretty sure. In her head, she was just ripping it. it yeah, yeah, she was just flying. But, you know, like Miami the, the drama Miami. was perhaps more muted than that. Next time, gunboat. Yeah. Yeah, really. That's, that's the answer. Any sensible person would know. KB, it's been super fun talking to you. Where can people find you, find your super awesome books, and otherwise make their life better by way of you and your stuff? 
Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Um, in the hellscape that is our current social media <laughs> uncertainty, uh, the best place to find me is really my website, which is just kbwagers.com. Um, there are usually links down below for all the social media, and I do try to keep it updated with everything that's going on. Um, right now, I am still on Twitter at kbwagers. Um, for as long as that lasts, I am more frequently on Instagram at Midway Brawler, um, which, if anybody is curious, is my uh, my Jaeger name uh, from Pacific Rim. Uh, mm-hmm. And there is a KB Wagers like account, but it's just a placeholder. I don't post there. Come over to Midway Brawler. That's where all the good stuff is: cats and plants and the occasional weird book post. Um, and yeah, at the moment, that's that's about the two best places to find me until nice. who knows where we're all going to end up in this very strange scenario. Indeed. All right. Well, it's been awesome. It's been awesome talking to you. We look forward to seeing the Ghost of Trappist out in hardcover on June 27th. Yeah. And that is available by pretty much wherever. I encourage wherever books to- are sold. Order from your local bookstores if you can. If not, get your library to get a copy. Yeah, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, whatever. All good things. Here we are at the end again. But there's some stuff you should probably know before you go. First, consider heading over to beyondthetrope.com and checking out their podcast. It's a lot of fun. Giles and Michelle have been around for nearly a decade now, I think, having fun chats with writers, artists, actors, and more. They put out a new episode every Tuesday and have something like 430 overall in the can, I think, as of this recording. It might be 431, I don't know. But that means there's plenty there for you to dive into. Second, if you liked this episode of The Functional Nerds, Consider giving us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast platform or posting about this episode or any of our episodes on your favorite social media platform. Tell your friends about us. Have them come over. We would really appreciate that part. If you buy a book mentioned on the podcast, let us know on social media. Tag us. Tag the author. That's always so much fun and it really, really drives home that we help sell books every once in a while. Now, if you really, really, really enjoyed this episode, you could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and give us a couple of bucks. I mean, that helps to keep the lights on. We like that. It's kind of hard to podcast in the dark. You can get access to some cool stuff like a pretty engaged and vibrant super secret facebook group a monthly virtual hangout or even an extra episode it's called the just us episode of the podcast and it's exclusively at this point for our patreon backers so if you just want to hear tracy and i talk about stuff that might be where you need to go other than that huh what do we think about mando season three Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. 
if you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> When someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.